Remember how Philip Lowe said the 25 basis point rise was business as usual? Well, that was ancient history. That was a whole month ago. Now how times have changed. We'll look at the market reaction to the RBA yesterday with their 50 basis point hike and the chance that they'll do it all again in a month's time. And the ECB tomorrow, they've been taking it slowly, but will lay up the ante. And if they do... What about the impact on southern European nations and on the euro? We'll look at the flow-on effects there. It's Wednesday, the 8th of June, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, bond yields are unwinding a little today. An eight basis point fall in 10-year treasuries, three for 10-year gilts and buns and uh, Aussies. 10 years are up seven basis points this morning after the RBA. Not much movement for the US dollar, although it's being pulled two ways. It's uh, 0.6% up on the Japanese yen, but the pound has also gained half percent. The Aussie dollar is almost up uh, 0.6% at 72.3 US cents. Not much going on with the euro today, though, down 0.4% earlier, but it's gained all of that back and a little bit more. Equity markets are happy in the United States, despite everything. We've got a 1% rise in the Nasdaq, a 0.9% graze in the S&P 500, 0.8% for the Dow. But they are a little bit all over the place. The S&P 500 was 1% down earlier in the session. And in Europe, shares definitely closed down, a moderate fall in the FTSE 100. But the Eurostox 50 down 0.8%, about 0.7% down for the DAX and the CAC 40. And oil also up and down. WTI was down not long ago. Now it's up one3 and Brent up 1.3%, up above $121 now. It seems the uh, OPEC plus production increase hasn't had much impact or lasting impact, perhaps because now there's some concerns as to whether they can actually deliver on the promised increases. And, you know, it wasn't enough anyway, was it really? Uh, certainly uh, Brent has been hovering around 120 for a while now. It certainly doesn't want to go be- below that lately so less volatility perhaps but it's uh, settling down at a high price that's not good news is it what is good news is that ray atrell from nab in sydney joins me this morning let's start with the elephant in the room ray 50 basis points from the rba and that is just the start of it there's some expectations that they'll do it all again so that would mean they would have lifted 100 basis points and a little over a month what happened to business as usual? Morning, Phil. Yes, and what happened to that um, suggestion from the uh, RBA governor only a few months ago that um, rates weren't going up until 2024? So um, <laughs> more humble pie being eaten in, uh, in that regard, it has to be said. But um, yes, so you know, hats off to the, the couple of people in, in terms of market economists who did pick 50 basis points uh, yesterday. Mm. Sadly, we're, sad, sadly not, not among them. But um, yes, clearly the RBA has, has got the memo, um, whether it's come from the rest of the world, seeing what's happening with their inflation rates and how um, at least three of the G10 central banks are looking at the US, looking at Canada, looking at New Zealand, have decided that 50 basis points is the new 25, um, or whether domestic uh, factors interest Interesting in the statements that they cited not just uh, global influences that are seeing inflation higher than they expected just a month ago, but also citing the um, the um, rises in electricity and gas prices that are currently uh, coming down the pipe to a house near us. Um, you know, and, but also you know, particularly noting tightening labour markets. So you know, clearly the the anecdotal evidence, if you like, is persuading them more that um, that, that wage inflation is uh, is in train more so than the likes of the wage price index have indicated for Q1, for example. Well, it would so, have to be that, wouldn't it? Because if, if all the rest of it is supply-driven, uh, I mean, it's not surely it's not going to make much difference. The only thing this is going to do is try and suppress wages, isn't it? I mean, tell me, tell me there's something I'm missing here, but that would be the only reason <laughs> to, to do these big hikes, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, realistically, 
basically, um, you know, the, 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 it's, it's demand exceeds supply, whether it's supply shortages or excess demand. While that gap exists, it's going to maintain upward pressure. And it's pretty clear from what we're seeing you know, elsewhere in the world that, um, you know, labor markets are extremely tight. And one of the ways that demand ultimately is going to be suppressed is if, um, you know, labor markets aren't quite as strong as they are and uh, wages aren't going to be going up as much as certainly they have been in other countries. So, um, you know, a weaker labor market sadly is seen to be part of the solution to, to getting inflation back closer to target. Level. Lose your job for the country. So it was uh, it was only a month ago, wasn't it? The 3rd of May uh, when Philip Lowe said that he wanted that they wanted to signal that things are getting back to normal. Hence, a standard adjustment in interest rates. He said uh, 15 would have been, this is last time, 15 would have been too small, 40 would have been larger than normal. So we want to get back to normal and business as usual with standard rises. <laughs> that was a month ago. And interestingly as well, so later on today, we get the OECD's uh, economic outlook. Uh, their uh, editorial on Australia last time was monetary policy should remain accommodative given projections for inflation to remain below the 2 to 3% target. Further fiscal support and bond purchases might be needed if the recovery falters or inflation undershoots. Seems like we're a long way. And seems like no one read that section of that report. Mm, yes, I'm sure the OECD is staffed with some absolutely impeccably qualified economists, but um, the suggestion that they are a lagging indicator of current reality um, would appear to ring a little bit true, wouldn't it? Yeah. So let's see what they come up with tonight. Right, so let's look at the market reaction very quickly to yesterday, because the, the Aussie dollar has risen on the news, as you'd expect perhaps. Uh, we've had a, a jump in three-year bond yields yesterday, up about 15 basis points, which you know perhaps reflects how much the market expectations were behind. Uh, a 1.5% drop in the ASX 200. At least Australian equity investors see uh, high rates as a bad thing, unlike what we're seeing in the United States lately. Yeah, what was interesting to me, um, you know, frequenting the, the, the currency markets more often than the, than the rates market, it was that quite a divergent view. So, yes, we did see the knee-jerk um, Aussie dollar positive reaction, as you would have expected. Um, but, you know, fast forward two hours, Aussie dollar was actually lower than pre-RBA levels, which is a, a real conundrum. Um, and yet you look at the rates market and the rates market effectively moved to price in an even higher, what we call terminal cash rate. Um, it was trading around 3.5% prior to the RBA announcement um, and ended the day a little bit north of 375 So um, was talking to people in the foreign exchange market, one train of logic was that, well, if you're going to go harder and faster, um, now compared to what we thought previously, you may end up with an even lower, you know, you may slow the economy such that um, and, and get inflation coming to heel such that you don't actually have to raise rates as much as you otherwise would. But the rates market was having none of that. And it's certainly possible that the, that the latter, you know, was really caught out by some, some offside positioning. Um, so whether or not that, that, that lift mm. in rates is really a genuine reflection of the the view that the RBA is now going to lift rates even more than, than was, was um, previously believed, or whether it's something that will work itself out and that the uh, us, um, the smartest guys in the room in foreign exchange have got it right here, uh, remains to be seen. But uh, that said, we did see the Aussie uh, lifting again in the offshore markets, and it is one of the best performing G10 currencies on the night, although we also see that in the context of a of a slightly softer US dollar, which has reversed a little bit of the um, the gains that we saw on Monday. So what about uh, now both central banks are seeing things the same way on both sides of the Tasman. Now it is really the uh, Bledisloe Cup to see who can rate, uh, lift rates fastest. 
what does that mean for the uh, for the New Zealand dollar and, and the Aussie cross? Now, are we are we going to see similar uh, similar interest rates on both sides of the Tasman? Do you think? Well, if you look at the Aussie Kiwi cross, we're now trading at uh, at the highest levels in this cycle. I'm looking at one eleven forty as uh, as we're speaking here. Um, so certainly, you know, it's been sort of competing forces. Australian commodity prices have been strong relative to New Zealand, and that's a positive for the Aussie Kiwi cross. And yet, obviously, the to date, the RBNZ has been much more aggressive than the RBA, and that's been working the other way. But now, with the realisation that the RBA is, you know, is going to be approaching RBNZ-type rates from below, um, and commodity prices, as far as Australia is concerned, are remaining very strong. Remember, in those uh, Q1 GDP numbers we had last week, the terms of trade surpassed their previous, I think it's 2011 um, record highs. So at the moment, I think the stars are aligned for that Aussie Kiwi cross uh, to remain in the ascendancy. And uh, I think in the last iteration of NAB's FX forecasts, we said that, um, you know, levels up as high as 113 uh, were certainly possible, um, you know, even if our point forecasts are a little bit below that. So, uh, mm. uh, so far, so going to form. Right. And uh, talking about trade figures, so we had the US balance of trade last night. No big surprises. Imports were down a little in April. Exports were up a little. Uh, and they revised the March figures a little as well. So, so the deficit was a little less uh, than expected. The deficit in March was revised from 109.8 billion down to 107.7 billion, which is still a record deficit, of course. Uh, but now it's down to 87.1 billion. So that's good, isn't it? Well, it's good from a GDP perspective. Remember, Q1 uh, GDP in the US was, uh, you know, was very weak, um, and, and part of the reason for that was was the drag for, from net trade. So you know, just I mean, it's early early days. These are in the April numbers, of course, um, but that. That's a sharp reduction compared to uh, to March and the Q1 average will be contributing positively to uh, to GDP. But part of the story there is, you know, is is weak import demand. And then uh, interesting, I saw that the target issued and second profits warning last night saying it's going to take them um, you know, longer than they thought to actually clear the excess inventory that had been built up. And yeah. obviously that rotation from goods to services is well underway. Um, you know, so to some extent, you know, better trade numbers reflect sort of weaker demand for imports, particularly on, on the on the good side, which, you know, arguably, you know, it's not necessarily a sign of a slowing economy. It's just confirmation that the rotation uh, to, from uh, goods to services looks to be well underway in the US. Right. But isn't that what we want? I mean, don't, isn't, that, isn't the whole idea we want to soften demand so that we, we get rid of this imbalance? So if we see that there's a, a fall in imports, I mean, that could, unless it's supply constraint driven, but if it's demand driven, that's a good thing. And if Target have got their inventories rising because people aren't buying stuff, isn't that what central banks are fighting for to soften that demand? Absolutely, but remember, we're talking about goods here, and uh, you know, and we know that goods demand was excessive relative to, to to history because of the of the pandemic. And remember, the US the US economy very broadly is ten percent manufacturing and it's ninety percent services, right? So services ultimately, uh, and what's happening with demand and inflation there is is going to determine ultimately what happens to the inflation rate so um you know so the question here is is that if that rotation away from goods is simply showing up in stronger services and um you know and and you know the big driver of services inflation globally is wages rather than you know the price of mm. commodities as the primary input for example so you know i don't think you can draw a very strong conclusion that uh, you know weaker us imports necessarily means demand 
um, across the whole economy is slowing sufficient to bring inflation materially lower. Right. So stay in the house that you can no longer afford and don't even think of ordering anything on Amazon and certainly don't go out for a coffee. That's uh, Then we'll all be happy. Uh, Janet Yellen was in front of the uh, the Senate Finance Committee uh, yesterday. I mean, she was very much talking, wasn't she, about uh, how it was supply-driven. She was defending the American Rescue Plan because obviously America, uh, Republicans were saying it was responsible for inflation. Uh, so uh, she did say, you know, they do expect inflation to remain high, although I hope very much that it will be coming down, she said. Well, that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. I mean, in, in terms of the specifics of, you know, what she thought that Congress could do to contribute to downward pressure on inflation, it was all very much sort of supply side driven, with the exception of saying, well, you know, we could lower drug prices, so that would be helpful. But she's talking about improving access to affordable housing, you know, stepping up investment in, in renewables, for example, things that will improve the, the supply side and, and you know, and, and potentially will lead to um, higher productivity, um, you know, and, and lower inflation over time. But uh, I don't think anything there to, to really inspire confidence that uh, Congress is going to be doing very much to bring the U.S. Consumer Price Index down mm. anytime soon. Yeah, it's all in the hand of central banks, isn't it, really? Uh, and, of course, we've got the ECB tomorrow, mm. next cab off the rank. Before that, German industrial production, uh, which is expected to dip a little bit after the uh, the fall that we saw in March, so fall a little further. UK construction PMIs for May as well, they're down, uh, but uh, still growing, perhaps. Well, I mean, their interest rates might be moving slowly from here on in so less impact perhaps on construction there who knows but let's talk about the ecb will they uh, look at the rba and all the other central banks i know they're not going to move rates this week but will they be looking and thinking we've got a signal that we're going to move faster well well let's see whether we get any clues there i think um, you know one thing's happened overnight i've seen that the likes of italian bond spreads have come in relative to germany so there have been some reports this week that the ecb you know might explicitly announce something aimed at uh, reducing the risk of so-called fragmentation in the eurozone bond market assuming that they are going to call time on their qe program which is the main focus of attention tomorrow as well as any clues on whether you know the exact timing of a, of a first rate rise and whether it might be 25 or 50 but um, as far as today's count is concerned i think this is a thursday is a, is a flat or sorry wednesday we are today is a flat spot um before the ECB and obviously in the US CPI on Friday. So is that a concern? Because that the, the Italian German spread, because it's two hundred and fifteen points now, which is is pretty much where it was back at the onset of the pandemic when things weren't at all going well. As I understand it, the PEP program uh, is still going, and they could use that, couldn't they, to buy up bonds in peripheral markets if they felt they needed to. That's right. So that maybe we may hear something to that effect. But certainly the asset person. The, uh, the QE programs have disproportionately supported the euro peripheral. And um, Rodrigo and I were chatting yesterday, and if you look at a chart of the uh, the spread of, say, Italian bonds relative to uh, German bonds, it does correlate with the euro. So if that spread were to blow out as a result of um, you know, the ECB stopping buying bonds, then the direct read-through might be you know, a, a potentially a source of further downward pressure on the euro, which in the, the context of the ECB's fight against inflation wouldn't be welcome. So I no. certainly think they want, they're going to want to do something to, 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 uh, to have markets sort of resisting the temptation to, to wanting to sell off, to sell Italian bonds on, on the back of the end of a QE programme. Here we are talking European peripheral spreads first thing in the morning. No wonder people are tuning into the, uh, to the NAB morning call. Uh, that's it for today. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you soon. Thanks, Phil. And I'm back tomorrow. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Have a great day. I'll see you in the morning.